Today is Sunday, July 31st, 2022, and this is episode 269 of the Defensive Security Podcast. My name is Jerry Bell, and joining me tonight, as always, is Mr. Andrew Callett. Good afternoon, or evening, or morning, as the case may be. Jerry, how are you, sir? I am fantastic. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's uh, just working hard. It's dog days of summer. As we all are. Two two months left of summer. Indeed, but doing well. Thank you. Going going by fast. I can't believe it. All right, just a, a reminder that the thoughts and opinions we express on this show are ours and do not represent those of our employers. And by the way, we are not, despite what some marketing firms might want you to believe, we are not soliciting guests for pay. Yeah, that was a crazy story that came into us that some PR flacks out there are telling people that for a certain amount of money that they pay, they could get them on our show. That was news to us. That definitely news to us. But uh, Hey, look, let, you know, let's be honest. Like you come with a big enough check and we could talk. I'm just saying Good. everything in life is negotiable. We're not ashamed to say we can be bought. That's right. That's right. It might be expensive. It might be more than, than most people are willing to pay. But, certainly not worth it. That's for sure. But de yeah, definitely not worth it. But there it is. There it is. Some interesting stories for this evening. One quick follow-up that I wanted to mention from the last, either the last show or the, the one before that. Microsoft has uh, re-enabled macro blocking. So they've re-enabled -re macro blocking. Do you think they just have a magic eight ball that just shake every week to see... Turn it off, turn it on. Well, I assume that somebody's like <laughs> maniacally laughing in a conference room. Watch this. Oh, no, I, I think the real answer is they got some feedback and this broke something important somewhere. And they're like, oh, wait, roll it back. Let's go fix that. And then roll it back out. I'm quite certain you're right about that. All right. So the first story for tonight comes from bleepingcomputer.com. And the title is Cosmic Strand UEFI Malware Found in Gigabyte and Asus Motherboards. We've talked a bit about this in the past, but it is really starting to become a thing now. The story here is about a several-year-old piece of uh, malware that impacts motherboards, which has been seen most recently in an updated form impacting apparently still old motherboards, but it's, uh, again, we're starting to see the worst case scenario here because there is no easy way to either detect or clean a system that has been compromised in this way. Now, the, the particular piece of um, malware here is, I would say, pretty rudimentary. What it does is it, it uses, I, I should say, it forces the, it forces Windows specifically attacks windows it forces windows into a an older model older older style boot uh, model and then injects kernel modules into windows to maintain persistence but if you read through the article there's actually some uh, which i was not 
really aware of, there's some significantly more advanced pieces of UEFI malware that are much, much more sophisticated and don't rely on putting the boot process into a legacy mode, which I presume would be easier to detect. And, and I, I think maybe with like Windows 11, it may not be possible anymore because I think, I think some of the newer operating systems actually rely on secure boot, which I don't think this, this specific piece of malware would work with, but some of the others that are described later in, in the article actually would. And again, this is uh, this is interesting. They talk about in some of the, the referenced articles about how people are realizing that they're inf infected with this because they're just that they suddenly see windows accounts created and in it re reoccurs after a fresh, a fresh reinstall. So it is again, pretty, pretty much worst case scenario. Now it's very much unclear how this is actually happening. There's no indication of exactly what mechanism is being used to plant the, the malware into the motherboard, but there's, and there's some other pieces of, of similar uh, malware that are actually known to be looking for vulnerabilities in UF, UEFI. So it's probably not a far-fetched thought that this is also doing that. I'm not saying it was aliens, but it was aliens. Yes. Now, this is an interesting one, and we've danced around this topic before about the real only detection and defense mechanism here is to detect the downstream impacts of it, whether that's at the network layer, whether that's at the behavior of the US doing things that it shouldn't do, which is a heck of a, of a game to play because of how stealthy the adversary may want to be or could be. So it's a tough one. And certainly a lot of the manufacturers have done things to make this harder to pull off and harder to, to overwrite the firmware, but what's to say the next supply chain attack couldn't go after some of the firmware updates at the factory. Well, I think that's the, that's the exact concern and you're right in this particular case. And if you like it, the reason that was detected was because they were, they were using the UEF, UEFI, uh, malware to install more traditional attacks and maintain more traditional persistence at the operating system level. But that doesn't necessarily have to be the case. Yeah, it does make some sense because I don't think the UEFI memory space is huge. So you probably couldn't do too much sophisticated work there, but you could easily plant some persistent backdoors that could load more sophisticated malware. Very true. Yeah, it's interesting. And we used to always say, once the host was compromised, you could never trust the OS again. Maybe we need to start saying, once the host is compromised, you can never trust the hardware again. That's, I, I think in its current incarnation, I think that's becoming true. I suspect that over time that the hardware manufacturers are going to start having to open things up a bit so that they can be wiped or, or new types of detection and protection mechanisms implemented. But I, I think as it exists today, you know, we have very limited abilities to, to reflash the parts of the system that are actually being impacted here. That's an interesting one. That's scary, but hopefully not terribly widespread. Part of me says, hey, maybe your option is to go to a cloud environment with hosted workspaces that hopefully aren't susceptible to this and just wipe them and rebuild them once a week. I don't know. Maybe that's overkill. Yeah. Yep.
All right. The second story comes also from Bleeping Computer, and the title here is Hackers Scan for Vulnerabilities Within 15 Minutes of Disclosure. So we know for a long time that uh, it, you know, the amount of time from when uh, a vulnerability is announced to when it's under active attack has been shrinking for a long period of time. But this story here is about uh, Unit 42's report that indicates in, in their analysis, it takes about 15 minutes on average from a software vendor releasing details about a vulnerability to some number of actors, don't know that if they're malicious or, or benign, scanning the internet, looking for those vulnerabilities. And they point out a couple specific examples. One of the most recent F5 big IP vulnerabilities and the, the the hypothesis, by the way, I should say, just backing up for a second, it's not that necessarily these adversaries or these actors are, are exploiting within 15 minutes. They're scanning, looking for systems, looking to identify systems that are, are connected to the internet that have that vulnerability. And the follow on assumption is that that list of known affected systems provides an easy, an easy set of targets. Once the adversaries have a list of, or you have a means to exploit these new vulnerabilities. Yeah. It's also interesting too, that deeper in the report, they talk about what is most commonly exploited, which are things that are also heavily scanned for, uh, but are very old exploits. Correct. So I, I think we see a couple of things here. We see folks looking for new ones very quickly, which who knows, maybe they could do something with it later and, or sell access to it or whatnot. But at the same time, what we see most often being exploited are relatively old patched vulnerabilities, which makes you wonder in some point, is it that patched folks are just tougher to hit or is there some self-selection here of Hey, if they're not up to date on patches, maybe they've got weaker security overall or a weaker security mindset, weaker security investment that makes them. Is that a leading indicator of the vulnerability overall of an organization for them to go after? And that makes it a safer target, potentially. I know I'm gaming out some psychology here, but it makes you it's wonder. Not, it's probably not an unreasonable thought. They, they do point out that exploitation is a means of initial entry is only exploitation of software vulnerabilities is only a little less than a third of the initial method of compromise. The predominant method still remains phishing. And I, I suspect that kind of what you said, a lot of the more interesting companies, more sophisticated companies are probably pretty good at, at addressing most of the older vulnerabilities. Uh, but obviously it's pretty, a pretty pervasive problem. I, I think that when you look at something like log4j, which they said accounted for 14% of the uh, exploited flaws in the first half of 2022, that's going to be here for a long time. We, I think it was, uh, the, the U S department of Homeland security recently indicated that they they're considering log4j or the, the log4shell vulnerabilities is basically endemic. They're going to be here with us for a very long time because they're just in so many places that we don't even realize anymore. Yeah, it's interesting. I, uh, I also wonder about, I don't know of any way to, to stop this. I think that the, if you wanted to avoid 
the bad guys for scanning for new vulnerabilities. You'd have to be more secretive about the vulnerabilities that are out there and that are being patched. And I don't know if that serves anybody well. So I think this is one of those negatives that come with the positives of widespread notification of patches and exploits and problems that exist out there. But certainly we do inform the bad guys when we patch stuff. And I don't know that we're really going to get away from that. I think it's more important than more people being notified and aware. And I don't know that any way you could really obfuscate it wouldn't be quickly defeated anyway. No, that's, that is for sure. The only time that you, you really have that is we, we see it working. I think, I think we see it working relatively well when software manufacturers have an embargo and they work with a set of, of providers. And we see this quite often, like with cloud providers. Where they get it out deployed. Yeah. Where, you know. Intel or Microsoft or the Linux group will release like this really gnarly vulnerability and the cloud providers will all say, ta-da, and we're already patched. And, and then meanwhile, everybody else is, is scrambling, trying to, uh, to save themselves. That's an interesting problem, right? Or an interesting sort of classism around vulnerability disclosure, but you've also got such concentration of risk in the cloud providers. I get it. And they so far have, I don't think, leaked any of that or been unreliable in their embargo of that information. So I don't know, but it makes me a little leery or a little uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, I, like you said, I don't think there's a, I don't think there's a, a great answer to this. It's just a, just a, a problem <laughs> that we have in the industry. Yeah. Fair enough. All right. The last story, this was one that I had been watching over a kind of unfold over the course of the past week to two weeks. There's a, there's a company in India called Paytum Mall. I think it's called Paytum or pronounced Paytum, P-A-Y-T-M. And very recently a data breach had been reported to have I been pwned. And another organization called Firefox Monitor picked up the data breach from Have I Been Pwned and, and started warning customers of this Paytum Mall organization. And Paytum Mall came out with their, their fangs showing, basically saying, no, this is uh, absolutely false. And at the time, I remember thinking, gosh, this is going to be interesting to watch unfold because we've seen this a lot of times in the past where an organization is in denial that they were in fact hacked. But what appears to have happened here is that this group is apparently right. They, they weren't hacked or at least, you know, if they were, it wasn't, it wasn't, the, wasn't the result of this. What apparently happened was some, some actor in the past, I guess it was maybe about two years ago, apparently cobbled together like uh, data of about 3.4 million accounts and asserted that it was from Peta Mall and then reported it to Have I Been Pwned and it was off to the races from there. And, and, and I think it kind of points to some of the challenges with validating, especially when the allegedly breached organization isn't necessarily super forthcoming, I, I would imagine that a, an organization, have I been pwned, has to make some assumptions. Otherwise they're like, they're never going to, they're never going to assert that something is real. Yeah. 
what is their verification requirement there? And to be be fair, have I been owned has been excellent yeah. run organization and I, I not disparaging them at all. Troy Hunt's done a great job with that and it's been very helpful and very meaningful. So will things like this happen from time to time? Sure. The bad guys lie. And that sounds like what kind of happened here with enough veracity to make it seem real. Yeah, it, exactly. And it's good to see that through some means, obviously that, that there's no details on the back and forth between Payton Mall and, and have I been pwned or Firefox monitor, but obviously they were able to work it out somehow. They were able to, to establish that no, in fact, no, that wasn't. I, and I assume that they did legitimately come to that conclusion and it wasn't the result of crazy amounts of, of legal threats. But how hard is it to prove a negative? Hit them all in a tough spot. So, and they're like, no, we really didn't get hacked. So that, but at the same time, I think it is also, I, it's also interesting that Payton Mall released a statement that said something to the effect of their customer data is absolutely safe, which, yeah. which, boy. Now somebody's going to go start testing that. Yeah. Or maybe a lot of somebody's. Yeah. I, that, that statement concerned me a little bit because that, that is, uh, asserting things that they may not actually they may not actually know, but, but regardless, it's interesting. I have seen, and I have had personal experience by the way, with malicious actors making, um, unsubstantiated and, and actually false threats against Your teenagers do not count in this story. Well, that's, it's true. And it is super frustrating by the way, when that happens, because the, the presumption in the media these days is that for right or wrong that the, the hackers are right, that they are, you know, they've, wh whatever they say is correct. And it's an interesting take because, well, they're by nature somewhat criminal organizations right. and we're, and we're, we're typically trusting what they say. Interesting stuff. I, I do think that in large measure, most of the time it's, it's accurate. Unfortunately, there's a, just a a significant number of data breaches that, that happen all the time. So I'm uh, not saying that we, you know, we have to back off trusting anything like that because we know it's happening, but it is an interesting nuance. And I think as time goes on, we're going to see more of these because it's easier. If you think about it, if you're a, a malicious actor looking to make a name for yourself, it's a lot easier to make an unfounded claim that you hack somebody than to actually hack them. Or you just want to disrupt somebody's operations or their stock price or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. It's a, it's a, we see this as well with ransomware organizations starting to post who their victims are to force them to comply. And it's not much of a stretch for them to start lying about that. hundred percent. Absolutely. So it's, it's always something It keeps it interesting. Indeed. That is, uh, that is the show for today. So a little abbreviated. I hope everyone is doing great this summer or winter if you're on the other side of the planet. And if with that, we will catch up with you next time. Any closing thoughts? Maybe we'll talk about this next time, but I was just reading an article just before we started recording that I wasn't prepared to really talk about, but it was about all the hacktivism that's been going on against Russia due to the Ukraine conflict and the massive amounts of data dumps that are coming out of it and whether or not something interesting or juicy is in there. But the, the people who are trying to comb through it are so overwhelmed by the data, they don't know what they have yet. So 
We'll see if something interesting. interesting comes the, of that. Yeah, there, there's, I think there's, I, ha, I have seen some headlines about that. There's also been a recent revelation that the U.S. federal court system was apparently breached. Oh, yeah. And, and not well publicized. So that I'm looking to, looking forward to how that unfolds. And we should, by the way, because it's a government agency, we should get a lot more details about how and, and what happened. And then uh, you know, it, what we've talked about in the past with regard to some of that, I, I guess I'll call it hacktivism with software, open source software maintainers continuing, by the way, to, um, to poison their own works as, as part of a protest against the, in particular, the war in the Ukraine, more, obviously more to come on those topics. So we'll, we'll be looking into that for next time. Sounds good. Have a great week, everybody. Always fun talking to you and feel free to hit us up on the Twitters. I'm Matt Lurg, L-E-R-G, Jerry's at Malicious Link. He's occasionally on the Twitters. Yep. Occasionally. Occasionally. It has turned into a crazy cesspool of anger. So I, I limit my interaction myself. It's, I've had to, just for, for the sake of mental health, <laughs> I've had to, to limit my consumption of Twitter. Yeah, it's crazy. I, I'm starting to realize that your outrage is their business model. And so that doesn't lead to good things. That's a great way to say it. I like that. Yeah. So anyway, all right. On that note. Thank you all. Have a great week. See you. Bye-bye. Bye bye.